This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here. Right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles. Ready for next day installation. And all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, everybody, it's me, Rosie O'Donnell, and uh, this is my podcast, Onward, with me. And it's podcast number five, and my guest today is the wonderful, brilliant, smart Brooke Shields. And I forgot beautiful. Why didn't I put beautiful in there? Because um, I guess it's how everybody thinks of her, right? It's all about her face, she says, in this wonderful new documentary called Pretty Baby. I was so moved by the documentary. I really was. And I don't know, I've known Brooke a long time before I had children. I was um, originated the role of Rizzo on Broadway in Greece and uh, the revival. And when I left, Brooke Shields took my place and she did it for like a year and they re-recorded the soundtrack with her voice because, you know, frankly, she's better and it was really great. She did a wonderful job. And there's a little clip in the documentary where Brooke is sitting and looking like so young. I mean, so young, sitting in uh, the dressing room and the phone rings. And that was my dressing room, right? And so I see her pick up the phone and she says, nope, she's not here now. It's my dressing room now. (laughs) So that was me she was talking about. But um, I've known her since then, you know, and I knew about her life. I knew you know, the broad strokes, but I never thought about what it all must have felt like for her. And then I saw this documentary and it like broke my heart in half, you know. I had so much compassion and love for her. I had so much respect and admiration and and I felt like badly that I didn't take all this into consideration earlier. I have so much love for her and I always thought she was wonderful and nice and admired that she went to Princeton and you know, did so well uh, intellectually. And, you know, her life has, has been fraught with many ups and downs. And, uh, but boy, has she come out of it great. And I'm so happy for her. So we got a great interview with Brooke Shields. So stick around for that. And uh, what can I tell you about life? I don't know. 
Tennessee House, they, uh, the two Justins got reinstated, and as it should be. And what happened in Tennessee really needs to be focused on, and we have to not allow overt racism. What do you think, Tennessee? You can say the black guys have to get out, but the white woman doesn't. I was so proud of all the people in Tennessee who got out in the streets, you know, saying you can't kill us and you can't fire the people you don't like what they're saying, you know. Those uh, Justins, they stood for what the children were saying, don't kill us in schools anymore, stop shooting us, stop slaughtering us, you know. That's what the kids are saying. And, uh, you know, the kids are going to save us. I got to tell you that. The kids are going to save us. They really are. If you want to look to be inspired, look at what the young ones are doing, how strong they are, how ready to stand up for themselves and for democracy. It's a beautiful thing to witness. It truly is. My son Blakey is here with his fiance, Teresa. They're getting married a year from August. And I love having them here. I miss not being around my bigger kids, you know. I uh, moved out here two years ago, got Dakota in the kind of school that she needed, and she's thriving. And, uh, you know, they come out here as much as they can, but it's not the same, you know, it's not the same. But I'm glad to have him and her for the week and uh, very excited about their upcoming life together, you know, really beautiful. All right, everybody. Well, we're going to answer some questions at the end of this. And uh, you leave a voice memo, onwardrosie at gmail.com. Leave a little voice memo if you have a question, if you have a comment, if there's something you would like us to discuss on the podcast, a guest you would like to hear interviewed or a topic, let us know, you know, and leave a voice memo if you can. And today at the end of the show, we're going to answer a couple questions. Where did I say we? I mean me. (laughs) I'm going to answer a couple questions. It's me here alone in a room in my house. Okay. Hope you're all good. And now, Brooke Shields. Hello, Brooke Shields. Hello, Rosie. First of all, Brooke, I got to tell you, I watched that documentary twice. Your new Hulu documentary. You did. I was so moved by it. It emotionally... Like reverberated like an earthquake inside of my soul, and I think it was so brave and so wonderful of you to to do it. How did it come up? How did you get to the point where your friends all said, "Hey, let's tell your story"? I had been reproached, you know, before, and I'm certain, sure. And every time they someone described it, it just did not have the right tone, or it wasn't exactly about the right thing, mm-hmm. and. Allie Wentworth, who's one of my closest, closest friends, said, listen, we now have a deal through Hulu and ABC. George Stephanopoulos, her husband, they've started a production company called Bed by Eight. (laughs) And they said there's half scripted and half, because George is in bed by eight every day because he's up so early. Frankly, Um, I get in bed at eight too. After Wheel of Fortune, I get in and we watch TV with my daughter. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cozy. Bed by Eight, what a great title. Yeah, it's a great title. So they, she said, you know, we've been talking about it and we think that your story is the one that we want to begin with and how timely it is. Um, they were introduced to Lana Wilson, 
who I'd seen her films. She's an extraordinary documentarian. And she sat down with me and said, my vision for it is that, they had evidently talked about it, that the sexualization of young women in America, mm-hmm. my being sort of at the forefront of a lot of it and the sort of in the eye of the storm of a lot of it and just the length of my career. And she said, I really think this would be a, a relatable story. And I just trusted. I trusted her. I trusted them. I trusted Lana. And every step of the way, you know, I just, I sort of, I had to give over to all of it. Right. And I gave them all my archives. And my mom, I mean, my mom literally kept everything. Right. Kept multiples of everything. Right, right. And uh, so I just sort of handed over a hard drive and said, do with it what you will. <laughs> now, I don't know why, but I never thought of all of the subjects that, like, I never thought of the complications of your life and world until I saw that documentary. I don't know why, like, I don't know why I didn't sort of put it together myself. Oh, she was a kid then, and times were so different, and and how did she survive all that with her intellect and her heart and her being intact? You know, that's that's what I came away with. That and and one other thing, the joy that I felt knowing that you had witnesses, whether it's Laura Linney, whether it's, you know, your stepsisters, whether it's that you were not alone in the universe. And it brought me such comfort because the relationship with your mom, so symbiotic, so connected, so alcoholic, it felt so wonderful to see you with your children and your husband at the end, your gorgeous, well-spoken daughters who were talking (laughs) about the movie to you. I was so happy with who you are now. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I mean, I think we've known each other for so long and have been each other's witness as well, you know? Yes. I God, I've been doing all of this for so long. And I was always just in the next moment. I mean... I'm not sure why you would have spent much time thinking about me. <laughs> um, we only saw each other socially or right. when I was on your show. Right, and, right. And then when I got to come into your shoes at, as Rizzo. Yes, and I love that I'm in the dock a little bit. When somebody calls, yes. it's, it's my dressing room, right? You're like, it's yes. now. It was yes. very cute. You look so <laughs> young, though. Great. When I looked at you on doing Grease in the Broadway dressing room, I thought, my God, she was a kid. Like I you was looked, a kid. You were a kid. So much of it. I mean, I think that that's what's so sort of striking about watching the doc is that you see a kid, you know, you literally see this kid throughout her whole life and how I maintained a sense of equilibrium. I don't know why or how. I think there's something in my character that I'm finally starting to own up to. <laughs> oh, honey, you you were juggling 25 balls at a time while maintaining the innocence and the purity that that made you so relatable and desirable and watchable, you know? You were doing so many things as a baby. And when I would hear those horrible white male reporters making sexual Mm. innuendos to an 11-year-old, you want to jump through the screen and strangle them, you know? And and what a double standard it is, but, you know, the women doing the same thing was... Oh, Barbara Walters. I I was shocked. I was... I thought, is there, and then I, you know, I mean, this was before we were, we were even really having these conversations, but I just remember thinking, I thought she was a mother. 
Right. I remember thinking that and thinking like, why would, why would my size? I'm 15. You know? Right, right. It just, but I saw it all, which is so interesting because I saw it. While it was happening, you saw it? While it was happening. Wow. Because you can see on my face the sort of discomfort yes. and still wanting to be polite. And, you know, it was, it, it was supposed to be nice that I was asked to be on the show. And it, so those things happened at such, with such frequency. I was reading your New Yorker article about uh, the documentary. Yeah. It was a great article. I loved it. And, and how you talked about one reporter reading a description of your mother and her skin tone and her ruddiness or her alcoholic demeanor. And your mom was sitting right there. And you can see you start to try to protect her, you know, uh-huh. and, and you're just a little girl taking care of your mom as you always were. And that really is a function of, of a child of an alcoholic. And yes. I lived predominantly with my mother and I had a very sort of sequestered other life with my father. Um, there was a sense of balance in all of it, crazy as it may have seemed, but you learn that at a very early age mm, Yes, to protect your life force, you know, your food source, your, yes. the, the person who you are so attached to and need. Yes. I mean, I, I said to my, I remember my therapist just brought this up to me again. She said that when I first came to her, the first thing I said is, I'm afraid if my mother dies, I will die too. Yeah, Sonny. And that was a very visceral reaction to me. I didn't know how I could exist without her. But I know that feeling. When I watched the movie, I thought there's similarities in a way because when you have an autistic child, you try to connect and be their guide almost uh-huh. through the world. You know, so almost right. like a translator, I feel a little bit for her sometimes. And Well, and she relies on you because she knows you're going to tell her the truth. Yes. But with love. Right. Which are two things children need. Yes. You know, they, they need love and they need, they need to not be lied to. You know, maybe you don't give them the full scope of whatever that truth is. But I don't know. I feel like we owe it to them to be loving first and then say, you know what? This is, this is happening or this is happening, but you're okay. And I love you. Yes. And I'm going to be okay. And, and then this way they can just, then they can just be the kid and file it away. And they don't have to say, oh my gosh, were my instincts wrong? Mm. You know, can I not trust my instincts? My older one saw me crying and she was like three and, she just immediately, mama crying. Mm. And I said, oh God, what do I need to tell her? Because I don't really want to go into it. You right, know, right. To get, give, how much time do you have, kid? Right. <laughs> and, and I said, I thought, oh God, what does she need to know? What does she need to know? I've told this story before, but I, I said, you know, she needs to know she's safe, that I love her. And then she also needs to know that sometimes mommies cry. Sure. You don't want to lie and say, oh, I got dust in my eyes. And right, so then, right. that, what does that say? It's shameful to cry. And, yes. you know, I'm clearly crying. Right. And I said, yeah, I said, I'm a little sad. But you know what? I'm, I'm going to be fine. And I love you so much. And you are so fine. And she was like, oh, mama crying. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> Recently, I was crying. Uh, I was crying on the phone and she dropped what she was doing and laid on top of my body. We were in the bed. She laid on top of my body. Oh. And then she said, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. 
She said, all right. She picks up her iPad and she says, yeah, my mom just had a mini nervous breakdown, <laughs> but I hugged her. That's what she told our little Roblox person, you know, that she oh. was playing with. We'll be back with more from Brooke Shields. Presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's so complicated when you weren't parented like you weren't really uh, in, a, in a healthy way. And, you know, I, I lost my mom at 10 and, and it wasn't a healthy thing. When you weren't parented, then to become a mother— I, I had such compassion for you when you had your baby and you went through postpartum and you wrote that beautiful, beautiful book that probably saved millions of people's, women's lives and families' lives. And you have to know that. Thank you. Um, when you wrote that, I remember thinking, it was so hard for me when I had my first baby and without my mother. And I felt like, do I know how to do this even? And to lose your mother at 10 is just... I mean, I don't know if you ever really fully recover from that. And, yeah. you know, I didn't lose my mother and fully until later. But she was never able to really be there and be right. herself. And, right. and so my, my daughters grew up really not having her in their lives. Mm-hmm. The thing that's so strange is it's really hard being a parent. So hard. <laughs> it's so hard. And... Nobody's really got it all figured out. Right. You know, I mean, and I think it's okay to know that and 
that was part of why I wrote the book was because I I did not want to feel like such a failure. Sure. And I didn't want to feel alone and I did feel like a failure and I there had to be I had to have an understanding about it, you know, and nobody was talking about it. Nobody. And e- even though there was Andrea Yates then, postpartum psychosis yeah. who tragically took the life of all her children, people weren't talking about it. Now they're talking about it and not now with the case in Massachusetts in a different way. They're talking about postpartum psychosis. Psychosis, right. And no one had ever really accounted for the spectrum of postpartum to psychosis. Correct. And I'm sure that if either one of those cases had been able to get the help that was not available earlier, but would, you know, that the story would be very different, you know, and it's a shock to me because that's all they go to when they hear about it Mm. is they hear just about the horrors, terrible, terrible, terrible stories. Right. And there's so much other suffering that happens because people don't know the biochemistry of it. And they're not, they weren't talking about it. They didn't know how to quote unquote fix it. That's right. what they were focused on. Right. Oh, stop breastfeeding. Oh, do this. Oh, do that. And it was so much more than that. There are times that it can happen later. Mm. It doesn't even have to happen right after childbirth. Oh, I didn't know that actually. Yeah. There have been cases that something hormonally changes down the road and it can come two years later a sense of a biophysical change and and then you don't even know what to blame that on, you know? And sure. You totally think you're crazy. I, I'm, I'm sure. And I mean, that's what the word is or what's wrong with you. Or, right, right. You should be happy. You've got that beautiful baby. What's wrong yeah. with you? Oh, you wanted it so badly. Yeah, it took yeah. you so long. Right. Seven IVF. <laughs> yeah, wow. And, and I went through that, uh, IVF with uh, a friend and and what it did to her body and her hormones. And it was uh, very intense. She end, never ended up getting pregnant. She never ended up. It's so devastating to, if yes. that's what you want. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I was taking some of the same drugs that my father was taking when he was dying basically of cancer. And I remember him calling me. I was in the dressing room at Cabaret actually. and he Which you were great in. Oh, thank you. And he he said, well, you get it. You get it. We're taking the same medication. You know what it's like. And I thought, oh my God, does he not know how this sounds? Like he's needing to commiserate with me. Right. Because we were both taking Lupron or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I'm trying to have a baby and you're dying. It was just terrifying. I, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, and so I just tried to be there for him and say, "Oh yes, Dad, you know it's mood swings and and but 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 your body's resetting itself, and we're starting from square one so we can reintroduce and I went into this whole you know chemical thing to try to help him right right I'm and I sure. just thought, oh my God, my dad's scared. Mm. this is terrible when your father shows you how scared he is yes. about something you know that yes, wasn't indeed. you know, so I was in my thirties at that point. Did um, you purposefully leave him out of the dock? Did you ask the producers, like, let's leave my dad alone? It wouldn't, he wouldn't have liked this? No, it was pretty evident to them. All my sisters were interviewed. And only my stepsister's interview ended up aligning with what Lana needed to, to show. Right. And I think that the story is that he hated the public eye. 
didn't like anything about my being in it, my being an actress. The only thing that he so fully was able to wrap his arms around was Broadway. Uh Uh-huh. Came and saw me in every show. How nice. Um, While he was dying, he he requested that I send him episodes of Suddenly Susan. I always made him laugh from the time I was a little, little girl. This is a picture of my dad and me, and he would squat down to talk to me because he was six, seven. And so I'm squatting down to make him laugh. Right. Just imitating him. And that was just sort of always the way we you know, the way I was with him. So it was not intentional. He passed away three weeks before Rowan was born. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wouldn't have even been interviewed for it if he was alive. Did he and your mother fight about choices she was making for you in your career? Did he have any say or? No, he had no say, no comment. His way of dealing with it was... When I come over to his house on weekends, whenever I did, or, you know, holidays were always split with my mom and my dad, everything was stripped away and nobody talked about it. None of my sisters saw anything I was in. Nobody went to any premieres and nobody was invited. It was as if I was living two completely separate lives. And did that provide you comfort? Did that provide you? Yes. Yes. Yeah. You got to get away from it. You got to get mm-hmm. away from showbiz and from your mom for a little, and, mm-hmm. and you had a, a pretty traditional family life with him. Very traditional. I mean, you know, it was dinner at seven o'clock and the kids ate this and everything was so formatted and so traditional. Um, what was hard was when I got thrown into camp and like the tennis round robins. Mm. And I, you know, these kids grew up playing tennis right. and I was living in the city and working. Like right. I didn't play any sports. So they just made such fun of me because I couldn't play tennis and I couldn't play lacrosse and right. I was dorky and, you know, I, they were all driving and drinking and I was such a nerd and a prude because I didn't do any of those things. Right, and, right. But that was harder for me because, you know, they wanted me to just be like they were and I was just always so on the straight and narrow just to stay alive that um, that was hard. But the the consistency and the routine that my stepmother really provided for yeah. her five children and then six with me. The bonus. And I was just counted in the group, mm. you know, and I was included in everything and treated exactly like everybody else. And it was such a different type of safety for me. Right. You know, and it was kind of great because when it bored me, yeah, I had New York and my mom was taking me to Rocky Horror Picture Show and right. Italian films and we were eating at Chinese food at 10 o'clock at night. And, you know, and I was going to Studio 54 at home by 11.30 latest. But, you know, I had this sort of balance. So I didn't need to break away from either one. Right. Because they each were, it was provided for wow, me. Wow, that's so fascinating. I watched it with a bunch of women. Um, two of them were in their early 50s, like maybe just 50. And both of them were talking about how much you influenced them in in their growing up, that they remembered the book. I know that the book was not the book you wanted it to be when you were uh, away at college and so lonely. It was so 
broke my heart that part too. <laughs> don't don't respect me. Come on, just yeah. be my friend. You know? It just <laughs> exactly. it broke my heart. But they were saying that that book where you talked about virginity and and they ruined the book for you, but uh, that it really had a profound effect on their lives. And I was very touched by that. They were like, you know, they grew up in religious households and and they were goody goody girls too. And finally there was a goody girl that we could all embrace. And, you know, I mean, what it did to you personally is is very different than the effect that it had on so many young women in a positive way. I think that's what my mom set out to do. I mean, she said it to me, you know, she she would read every letter of fan mail. And then when it got to be too much fan mail, she hired two ladies and we had an office and all they did was read the fan mail and they would separate, you know, the crazies from the real fans, from the right. girls, from the, you know, just picture requests or whatever. And all of the ones that were heartfelt from young women, she read it all yeah. and underlined it. And, and she sort of went through and she was like, kids are asking you about drugs. Kids are asking you about sex. Kids are appealing to you. This is an opportunity to to answer their questions. We didn't have social media and we didn't have podcasts. And, you know, and, and she always made me that person. You know, it was a lot to carry because sure. it was a responsibility. And But I grew to just, that's what I did. That's what I was supposed to do. It was up to me to carry the torch for them. And, and you know, it was tiring and exhausting, but... Then you'd see a kid at a yes. appearance of some kind right. and they'd cry or they'd run up to you and say, oh my God, thank you, thank you, thank you, I love you. And you just think, oh, that's one person. That is one sweet person that at least I'm not an asshole. No, them. no, honey. You, you know. You've had a, 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 a hell of a life of fame. This business that I and we feel, I believe, blessed to be in. Yeah. What comes with it is you can very quickly feel angry at it because it steals from you. Yeah. You know, take something away from you. And I remember being determined to not give it all away. Right. (laughs) To try, you know, and I would try that over here. I would try it over there or I would try it with school or with whatever I needed to do to get something that couldn't be taken away from me. And that was largely your college degree, your Ivy League college degree too. It was my college degree. It was my friendships. Yes. It was knowing I was going to stay in New York and I was going to not fall prey to Hollywood. Right. That I wasn't going to give up high school, that I wasn't, that I was going to defy the odds in some way. Because all I saw was disaster. You only see disaster around you. Mm-hmm. And, and I also really just had to take care of my mom. And so I was the main breadwinner. I had to work. Yeah. I was very moved by um, the story of, of Andre and you emptying out the mm. fan or your offices. And, and then the wedding picture, your mother's face and that, that shot at the wedding. I was like, oh, Ugh. my God. And you said something very profound. You said, at the time, it would have taken someone like him to get me away from my mom. And in a way, that you needed him to do that. Yep. I needed him 
exactly for that. I mean, I think we needed each other for different reasons at different times, but I would not have been able to do it. I mean, I joke, you know, that I was a summer away from being Grey Gardens, you know. Exactly. Like, <laughs> you know, keep feeding my mom cat food and telling her it's oh, pate. <laughs> um, a bit of pate. I drink it all day. Yeah. We have a tendency to look at, quote-unquote, failed relationships right. as failures, you know. Right. And correct. You know, they get us to a certain place, or they at least teach us what we don't want. You know, I don't believe in those kinds of regrets. I mean, yes, there's sadness and there's pain and all of that, but that's just life. Yes. And I don't think, and he did it in a very smart way because he didn't try to turn me against her Mm -hmm. or not include her. And by being that generous that way to her, was unbelievable. And it wasn't his idea to clean out the office. It was his manager. Yeah. His people. Yeah, he had a lot um, of people, which is hard in a relationship. Lots of people. When somebody has lots um, of people, fair warning, you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your yeah. web community that you started. Um, it started right well, actually before COVID, but I started a company called Beginning Is Now for women over 40 because I was sort of slapped in the face with the irony that after all of the life I have lived, and any woman can identify with this once they're over even 40, finally being able to feel comfortable in my own skin, finally able to say, I don't need that in my life. I don't need this. I've raised the kids. I've done this. It is my time, my turn. I'm not bound by any biological clock. I'm not you know, afraid I'm not going to be in a relationship or worried I'm not going to get a job. And and then to feel that way and feel it physically as well, physically fit for the right reasons, mm. not just because I was starving for something or because I was doing eight shows a week and existing on coffee and chocolate, you know. Right. Um, the irony was everybody said I was done. You know, you're, Which is crazy. you're not marketed to. Right. All you are is menopause now. And there is this sort of pervasive, you know, you kind of expect it from my career, like our world of being an actress, you know, they kind of go, well, you're not the ingenue anymore. And I'm like, and I don't want to be. Right. But I would like to be a fully flushed out female character. Correct. Because they exist. And so I started this community and it was really just to start the community. But the community grew so quickly and they instantly wanted me to sell things. And what was mm. I going to sell? And what, how could they buy? And you know, what could they, you know, was I doing a book club and was I going to have a right. media component and was I going to have product? And and it was just, I wanted so much to know what the community wanted. And so we just got our first um, round of financing, which I don't know if you've ever had to ask for money before <laughs> <laughs> from like for a whole thing from investors and Yeah, no, I haven't done that and, actually. Oh. I, that sounds hard. <laughs> it is a role I do not like playing. Right. I mean, it is it is amazing to me how hard it is. And I had to really teach myself to not be self-deprecating, to own myself and my space um, and do it to a predominantly male world. Right. And watch them go through what they have to to prove whatever they need to to prove to me. And and it was very eye-opening. But by the same token, I was 
doing the very thing that beginning is now professes, which is out of your comfort zone. You can learn new things. You can try new things. You can also do nothing, but it's up to you. And this is your time and we're not old anymore. Right. You know, so the community has been so lovely because they want someone to relate to, but they don't want someone to tell them what to do. Right. You know, I say, this is what I've done. What have you done that works? You know, how do you deal with your child leaving the nest? How do you deal with this? And it's a, it's just a growing community. And now we're really just trying to build it to the next level. Well, I can't, I can't wait to check it out. And you just, it's just www. And then it's beginning is now. Beginning is now. We've finally been able to hire people to actually help get us to this next level. Right. And, you know, everybody is comparing us to Goop and, and we're, we're a very different animal, but we're also, we skew a lot older, you know, we skew 40s to 60s and plus, you know, so it's, it's the things that happen in this next beautiful chapter of our lives that we get to write. Yes. And that's the reason I did this podcast. Onward. Onward. It's the same. It's my (laughs) podcast is called Now What? Yeah. And it's the it's that same thing. It's onward. It's no stagnation. It's not laboring the past. It's what do I want now? Right now. What What doesn't work for me? What what doesn't fit? You know, I think that I use self deprecation as a as a tool, humor wise, obviously. Mm kind of gave me a career. If you see me fall on my face, yes, suddenly that was Susan. appealing, you know. Yes. <laughs> but but I loved it. But it also, it helped me be disarming and then be seen for whatever I needed to be seen or just to see, be seen by people like my husband or my kids or anybody. And that doesn't always, it, you can believe it a little bit too much after so much time. If you're putting out these messages about yourself. yes they start to stick and yes. you start thinking you're less than, you know, and making yourself smaller. And this has been a really kind of a reemergence from that. I can still be funny, but I don't always have to be the butt of the joke. Right. That is so good. And it's so, you know, wisdom comes as we age and I'm grateful for every drop I get. Listen, well, we got to go and I'm thrilled uh, to be doing your podcast soon too. So yes. Excellent. And thank you so much, Brooke Shields. We'll be right back after this. Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, we're back and we've got some of your viewer questions and responses. Hit it. Hi, Rosie. This is Michelle from San Diego, California. Hello. Your talk show is a core memory from my youth. Mm. And my question is, Richard Simmons and you had such a fantastic comedic banter among both of you and your guys' love for Barbara. And even down to your facial expressions when you guys would talk with each other. Can you reflect for your listeners about having him on as a guest? And thank you so much for starting your podcast era. It brings so much comfort to all of us that grew up with you. Oh, Michelle, you're so nice. Thank you. That's so sweet. I love Richard Simmons. I haven't seen him since my show ended, and he seemed to sort of become a recluse. And, you know, I saw some weird things on TMZ about, you know, people worrying if he was safe or or whatnot. But um, I loved the guy. I thought he was a riot. I thought... He was very funny and and very kind of progressive and and ahead of uh you know where people were workout wise and I loved him I loved his personality I hope he's well I I don't know what what happened and I don't know um what's up with him now but I loved doing the show with him he was up for anything he was funny he was uh campy he was flamingly gay in a beautiful way that people loved him and uh, he never really had to say it but people would tease him for it all the time you know but he did uh he did so well and he was such a a loving spirit so I don't know whatever happened but I miss the guy and I loved working with him thank you Michelle for a beautiful beautiful little memo there next hey Rosie it's Jack from Nova Scotia Canada just wondering how you feel if you're a product from your surroundings. Would you have been a totally different person if you were born in Alaska versus New York? And how do you think that helped you be who you are? Thanks. Thank you. What a great question. I definitely think growing up in New York has given me a great advantage in life. I really do. I I don't know. I can't imagine being from anywhere else. There's something about New Yorkers that you know, feel uh, comforting and familiar and like my people, you know. I I love their brutal honesty. I love the fact that a lot of New Yorkers are blunt and that they speak their mind without hesitation and stand up for what they believe in. So I am a product of, of my uh, growing up in New York, I think. I never would have been an entertainer, I think, 
if I did not grow up in New York because I had Broadway right there at my fingertips, you know? I would get $10 standing room and go see shows on Wednesdays in the city. And, you know, it was a beautiful way to grow up. I loved being being a kid from Long Island with access to Broadway and an hour train ride away. So, yes, and if I grew up in Alaska, I can't imagine... I can't imagine. I I would be the worst person to grow up in Alaska. I mean, I love watching all the shows about Alaska. That Sue Aiken on the Alaska show, she makes me laugh my butt off. Um, She was attacked by a bear once. Can you believe that? She really was. But uh, I don't know how I'd fare in Alaska, but I'm, I'm grateful for my time in New York. And thank you for the wonderful question. We have time for one more, I believe. Hit it. Hi, Rosie. It's John calling from the San Francisco Bay Area. And I wanted to find out if you will be doing any new stand-up acts in the coming year and if you're going to be coming out to the San Francisco area. You have a lot of fans out here and I saw you a few times in New York, but now I'm living out here. Anyway, I can't wait to start listening to your podcast. All right, love you, bye. So sweet. These are so sweet, these little voice memos. Thank you so much. I, I'm not sure, you know, uh, my daughter and and I have a nighttime routine that I think sets a good regulation for her, you know, and boundaries are good. And, and she has autism. She's 10 years old. And it's hard for me to leave her at night. So I, I'm not sure if it's going to be this year, but um, I did work on a new set. Uh, I worked on sort of a, you know, um, a set after COVID and talked a lot about about COVID. And I, I would like to perform that somewhere. But when it gets closer to the time, I will let you know. And definitely we'll be doing it on the West Coast because, you know, she's here and she's in school and and that's the priority. But uh, thank you for for asking and, and for leaving a memo. I really do appreciate it. Hey, if you liked the podcast today, or even if you didn't, if you want to leave a message, please do, uh, onward, Rosie, at gmail, and uh, dot com. There you have it. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and next week, dropping on Tuesday, as usual, Kathy Griffin. Don't forget to tune in on Tuesday or whenever you get your pods. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl, go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.